There's a strong theme of assurance throughout 1 John, and certainly it runs through this portion, chapter 3, that we read this evening. Now, one of of the sources of assurance, I haven't included it in the four pillars that I've called them tonight, but just the fact that we love the brethren. If you love the brethren truly, that's a source of assurance. And if you don't love the brethren, then you'll never be able to count on any assurance. But the Apostle John has made it clear that this, this matter of loving our brothers and sisters has some different components to it. It's, it's strengthened, uh, this assurance is made more firm by uh, these pillars that sort of underlie our relationship with God and with one another. I'm sure many of us have asked ourselves after we've fallen into some sin or wandered off the way, am I really saved? And John understands this. And so he writes this wonderful passage that's meant to shore up the uncertainties that crop up in our lives from time to time. And so I've called this section the four pillars of assurance. The first pillar is that God is greater than our hearts, verse 20. Uh, I'm not sure if that's verse 20 or not, but there is a verse there that says, whatever our heart, what, in whatever our heart condemns us, and it says God is greater than our hearts. Now, the heart is a, another word in this context for our consciences. Our consciences bother us, and our consciences tell us that we have sinned and offended God. And then there's something greater than our hearts. And we can thank God for our consciences. In fact, conscience is something that all people have. And that's why they feel guilty when they do those things that are against the law of God. Some consciences are hardened and seared and don't respond very well. But in other cases, uh, the conscience is very tender. And even people who are not Christians will we'll come under a strong feeling of guilt. And often they'll run to the psychiatrist or psychologist and say, uh, what can I do to be alleviated of this guilt that has come down upon me? I'm sure that you've seen any number of commercials on TV where there's uh, some little character that can uh, solve a physical ailment that you have. You can say, oh, I've got this terrible headache. And then uh, the little figure will crop up You'll take the pill that's represented by that, and uh, the headache goes away. And you can say, well, the, uh, the medicine was stronger than my headache. Or uh, there's uh, an upset stomach, and uh, if you can just take your Pepto or, or whatever, well, that it'll go away. And so the, the medicine is stronger than your stomach ache. Well, that's kind of a flippant way of of maybe introducing this idea, but God is stronger than our hearts. Not that that God can somehow erase the things that have happened and the things that come back and uh, weigh heavily upon us from time to time, but this great source of assurance is that, that however heavy the burden of guilt may be, that God is greater. In fact, Our consciences, which accuse us often, and the devil himself, who is the accuser of the brethren, uh, neither are stronger than God. In fact, they must yield to God. 
The weight of sin, Satan's accusation, often leads us feeling hopeless. But we're dealing with the God of hope. The God who says, do not remain in this downcast, depressed state. And uh, as the psalmist says, hope thou in God. John reminds us that, uh, that God is able not only to lift the, the weight of our guilt that uh, crops up from now and then, but he is able to restore hope to us. We can know that our heart does not condemn us anymore because God is stronger than our hearts. And so he calls us then to look to him for help and for solace and not to give up. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me, uh, says the psalmist? Hope thou in God. He restores hope. Yes, he's greater than our guilt, greater than the burdens that we carry. And of course, we're told in scripture, cast your burden on the Lord. He does care for you. But at the same time, also expect from the God who is so great, the God who can overcome all the guilt, look to him to restore your hope. And that hope, of course, is based in the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture, as we read tonight, tells us that he has laid down his life for us. And our assurance then rests in what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that he is greater than our hearts that uh, our consciences and the accusations of Satan must yield is because Christ has been successful in paying for our sins in granting us the forgiveness of our sins and uh, establishing for us a home in heaven that cannot be taken away from us. And thus our hope then lies in the God who is so great, so overcoming, so powerful, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will give you hope. He will grant you assurance. You won't find assurance anywhere else. But if you look to the God who is greater than all your fears, all your struggles, all the accusations that you bring or the devil brings against you, you will find deliverance and relief. Better than any medicine from an earthly source, you have hope in the God who is great, who is greater. So that's our first thought tonight, that God is greater than our hearts. Secondly, and the second pillar of hope is answers to our prayers. Jesus said to uh, people who were questioning his ability to provide for them, that uh, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit, will give you greater and, and better gifts centered in the Holy Spirit because he does answer the prayers of his people. And you'll notice in the passage tonight from verse 22, whatever we ask we receive from him. Now there's some qualifiers, of course. We know that we must ask according to his will, and his will is brought to us in the scriptures. And uh, if there's uh, something that uh, the revealed will of God doesn't address, that's in the secret will of God, then 
we'll discover that and we can say, Lord, I, I asked for something and I, I see that uh, you didn't give me this, this particular thing, but I, I just have to accept that this is something that uh, I, I don't understand that's in your secret will. But mostly we deal with the revealed will of God. We don't deal that much with the secret will of God. And the things that God says are for his people, for his children, all kinds of gifts, personally, inwardly, outwardly, material, whatever it may be, God is willing to give us the answers to these prayers. Now, again, one of the qualifiers is sometimes we have to wait upon him. He doesn't immediately grant us the things that we ask for, but he, he preserves them until later and gives them at the appropriate time. But again, God does answer our prayers. If we go to him and say, Lord, here's what I need. Here's the help that I must have. God will grant it unless, as I say, there's something that we don't fully understand. Or as James says, we're trying to get things to fill our lusts and consume our selfishness and so forth. But the truth is that the best indicator that we have of God's favor is his granting what we ask him for. And let me say that often he answers prayers and we take it for granted. We were sick with a cold and we say, Lord, help me to get well. And we get well and then we say, well, we've gotten well anyway. That kind of thinking. But God answers our prayers all the time. And I would venture to say there's not one person here tonight for whom God has not answered prayer. And the fact that God does answer prayer and give us the things that we ask for, this is a source of assurance. If we were to ask, we would uh, be very sad and disappointed if instead of giving us what we ask for, and I say again, it must be according to his will, but he would give us something uh, unpalatable, something that we couldn't stand, something that we do not like. And again, in that passage that Jesus was uh, using or, or speaking in, where he says that uh, the father will not give a stone instead of bread. Uh, he'll not give bad things. He says, God will give you good things. So that we, uh, again, need to understand that God is always looking out for our best interests, that he does hear us when we pray. He does answer our prayers. And one of the best indicators that uh, you can point to for assurance is, I prayed and the Lord answered. When we pray, we do acknowledge our dependence upon God, but also, and I think this is what's overlooked many times, also our willingness to obey him. Lord, uh, I need this particular thing, but I want it to be in the context of what you have for me, what you've told me in your word, what the situation warrants here, and I want to obey you in it. I'm asking for this in order that I may obey you. I'm asking this in order that you may be glorified. I'm asking for this not that I can just be uh, feeling well and uh, always uh, uh, assured that uh, you will meet a, a certain crisis or difficulty in my life, but I'm asking this, Lord, that you may be honored and that I may be honored with you and in you and for you. And God grant then that uh, we recognize that we have enough answers to prayer, that we can be sure that we belong to the Lord. Now, I know there are times in our lives we say, it feels like my prayers never get beyond the ceiling. They just go up that far and, and don't go 
any further. But that's the devil talking to you. That's the devil saying your prayers are worthless. And of course, that's even you yourself saying, well, I remember back when I asked for something and I didn't get it. So my prayers are not being answered. You have to take the whole thing in context. How can we be sure that we are the children of God? Because when we ask our heavenly father, he does provide us with what we need. And thirdly, there's uh, the fact that we have a real savior from verse 23 says, we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We have not uh, the product of our imaginations, which we're often accused of, uh, of being involved with in, in Christianity. Well, you're just imagining this. You just uh, need a God as a crutch to lean on. Uh, there's not really a God at all. Now, we have a real God and we have a real Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, is not the product of our ancestors' imaginations, something that's just been handed down to us. But he is indeed very real. He came from above. And this is one of the things that uh, John especially stresses in this letter, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's Antichrist who says he didn't come in the flesh. We have a real savior. Now, I don't know about you, but when I call the bank and I have a financial problem of some kind, I hate to get one of these automated things where uh, you're, you're not really talking to anybody. Uh, they'll, they'll say, well, state what your problem is. And, and you say, well, I'm, I'm uh, not quite pleased with the uh, accounting that was given to me. And they'll just give you back some answer that doesn't mean a thing to do with that. It's just terrible. You're not dealing with anybody real. Yes, the person recorded the message and so forth, but it's not addressing your problem. It's not a real encounter, as it were. But in the case of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And the name is the idea that you have authority to speak to him. And he has granted you the knowledge of himself. So that uh, when Peter and John say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, they're saying, I have authority from the one that I know, from the one with whom I'm acquainted uh, to set forth this particular matter. And Jesus, as, as we've pointed out, will also say, I, I'm giving you my name. I want you to know my name. I want you to have that familiarity with me. There's no recording with Jesus. There is the real thing. He came from above. He did many mighty miracles and he laid down his life for us. So that the apostle Paul then can say in 2 Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He's not saying I know because I got a recording. I know because uh, I read some pamphlet that was mailed to me, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded by him. And I know that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. Nothing we do can give us assurance of salvation, but what he has done 
settles the matter of salvation. When Jesus' disciples were rowing across the sea and the wind came up and they were making scant progress, Jesus came to them walking on the water, and it wasn't a hologram. It was Jesus. It wasn't that uh, in their minds they, they had sort of a, a mass vision of, of Jesus and that they wished he was there to help them. He really was there. And what was his words to them? He said, it is I, be not afraid. Don't be fearful. I'm really here. I'm really with you. I control the waves and the wind and, and I control everything in existence. I am a real savior. But you need to know me. You say, well, that was back then. But scripture tells us that by his resurrection, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And that he ever lives to be a part of whatever enterprise or activity we're involved in. And he's certainly there always to help us when we feel hopeless and helpless and downcast and wish we had assurance. He says, be assured. May I say that's roughly the same thing as don't be afraid. Be assured. It is I, And of course, uh, in the case of those disciples, they were immediately at the land, at the other side of the lake that they were seeking to reach. And in uh, other similar circumstances, the, the wind would stop and the waves would be calm. They're all in his power. Why? Because we have a real Savior, not an imaginary one, not a recording, not a hologram, not any of these things that we're so familiar with today, but we have a real Savior. In John 20, 27, Jesus said, Be not faithless, but believing. In Mark 9, 23, All things are possible to him who believes. But not just believing for the sake of belief, but believing in him. He said, You can trust me because you know me. You can count on me because you have experience with me. You can know that this is not a dream or a vision or imagination. You can know it's real because you communicate with me on a daily basis. We have a real Savior. And then finally, we walk by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The last verse of, of the passage here, chap, uh, verse 24 of chapter 3 he says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This is the fourth pillar in addition to loving the brethren. First, we have God is greater than our hearts. God answers our prayers. We have a real Savior and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We know by the Spirit given to us. Now, there are three things here I would especially call your attention to concerning the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans 8, verse 16. 
The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The, all the assurance that we've been talking about really requires the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us absolutely to understand that God is greater than our hearts, that God answers prayer, that we have a real Savior. That's the Holy Spirit's work, to bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts 1.8. Again, the indwelling Holy Spirit has power that's transmitted to us and through us into the world. Now, in an earlier time, of course, there, there were spiritual gifts that were purely apostolic and, and for a particular period of time. But that doesn't mean if we say we believe in cessation of the gifts of, of those supernatural kind, that doesn't mean that, that we think that the power of the Holy Spirit has stopped and we have no claim upon it or use of it or evidence of it in our lives. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then the next verse says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's a power of witnessing, of course, that uh, when you put forth the gospel, which is itself the power of God unto salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit is operative through you. You will have power as you need it. And you'll have power in other ways, in ways that uh, have to do with addressing this world that hates you. John started off and said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. But he could have put right with that, don't be surprised if the world hates you. And don't be surprised that you can overcome the world because you have the Holy Spirit. You have his power. Yes, witness, but to do whatever is necessary in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was with a, a fellow once uh, down in uh, Mexico and uh, there were some evangelistic meetings going on, and we were going around to different houses. And uh, we came to this one house, and this, this dog comes at us growling and, and hollering. And uh, this fellow, uh, he spoke Spanish. I didn't speak much Spanish, but he says, En nombre de Jesucristo. And this dog backed off. And I suggest to you that's the power of the Holy Spirit. We have power. No, you're not necessarily going to, to heal some person in your own power or to speak in, a, in another tongue, but you can have the power that you need in the spirit. And my, that brings assurance, does it not? I have the power. I have the spirit of God in me, the spirit of Christ without whom I have none of his. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you have the communion or the fellowship or the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is one of the most wonderful things and ought to bring us great assurance that we have a kinship with other people who also have the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us brothers and sisters. That's what makes us spiritual fathers and uh, the children of those that the Lord has given to lead us. We have the Holy Spirit abiding in us and knitting us together, making us one people. And you see, now we've come full circle almost because I said as we started out, if you don't love the brethren, you're not really going to have assurance. 
If you do love the brethren, it's because of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 says the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And this makes you and me, brother or sister, this makes us one in the Lord. This makes us care for each other and love each other and, and lay down our lives for each other. And then you have this very interesting double combination of the Holy Spirit and answered prayer. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray in the way that we should. We don't even sometimes have the right words, but the Spirit helps us, intercedes for us and, and gives us what we need to pray. And the answers come. And the, the presence of the Holy Spirit with his power and witness and, and communion what a, a wonderful double combination of assurance we have in those two things together. It all comes as we abide in Christ, as we rest in him, he in us and us in him. All of these pillars, all of these uh, supports that assure us are there in that way. Just because God is greater, God answers God has given us a real Savior, and God has given us of His Spirit. Go home tonight with assurance that these things are yours through our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you tonight for these pillars of assurance. They're not the only ones in the Bible, not the only things that we could cite, but they're certainly gathered here for us to rest upon and we pray that uh, we will have that peace even as we lie down, as we rise up, as we go about our activities. We know, Lord, that you are all that we need and we will never be lost from you because you care for us. Thank you for this wonderful truth. In Jesus' name, amen.